Little George is the baby and he knows it. Um, he doesn't do anything for himself because he doesn't have to. Because he's got four other siblings and two parents, right? He don't want to put on his pants, he'll walk around. No pants. Just underwear in one hand, shorts in the other. Just be like, help me? And we're like, no, George, do it yourself. He's like, all right, I'll go to Finney. You know, he goes to our daughter. Somebody helps him. He just hasn't, hasn't done anything for himself in his entire four years of existence. And if you're the baby of the family, you're like, yep, that's the benefits. Amen, right? You don't have to admit to it. We all know that. It's okay. We've all been in families before. Um, but yeah, so that's my family. Uh, my wife is Katie. So we have uh, my wife, Katie, and then Finnegan, Donald, Henry, Harold, and George, right? Everybody confused now? Amen. There we go. Praise God. Um, so uh, I did want to talk a little bit uh, with you. If you have your Bibles, just open up to uh, 1 John. We're going to be reading out of verses 1 through 3. Um, the message is titled, The Word Became Flesh. And hopefully it'll make sense why I titled it that by the end. Right now it may be a little confusing. Um, but yeah, so 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. And if you're kind of new to this Jesus thing, 1 John is almost all the way to the back. Right? If you stole your Gideon Bible... Uh, it should be around page 1037. You can steal those out of the hotel. It's okay. They're Christians. They have to forgive you. All righty. Let's read the Word of God. Amen. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. God, you are so good and so kind to us. Holy Spirit, thank you for being with us. We feel your presence right now. And Lord, we want you to know that you are our Lord. You're not just a Savior. You're not just some moral teacher, God, but you are our King. And as such, Lord, we submit ourselves to you this morning. Lord, we submit our minds, our hearts, our hands. Lord, I pray that you would convict us of what is sinful and Lord, encourage us in what is just. Father, we love you. Change in our hearts what needs to be changed this morning, because we're here to meet with you. Amen. So um, <clears throat> I want to tell you something that's a little bit embarrassing about myself, as if I haven't said enough already. Um, I almost failed shop class in high school. That's right. I almost failed shop class in high school. In fact, I actually failed shop class in high school. But my shop teacher deemed me as such a danger to my fellow students that he didn't want me to take it again because it was a required class at my high school, right? So I am not a man's man, okay? I'm not good at those things, right? If something breaks at my house, I'm like, well, I guess it's broken forever. I just can't do that kind of thing. I'm not good at it. I remember like working on the bandsaw one day and my shop teacher just came over and turned it off, said, go sit down. I don't even know what I was doing wrong. To this day, I'm 38 years old. I don't know what I did wrong, right? 
Uh, our final project was to make little CO2 rocket cars, right? Everybody else's car stayed on the track. Mine launched through the window, right? I don't know where it is. Some say it's still flying to this day. Maybe it's on the moon. Who knows? I bet you we'll get up in like our spaceships with Jeff Bezos, and I'll find my rocket ship again, you know, my little rocket car. It'll be good, and I'll miss that thing, RIP. Um, but yeah, I failed shop class. I'm not good at this. And, and it's particularly embarrassing, one, because I'm supposed to be good at it as a man, and I'm not. And two, my family, like all the men in my family are really, really good at working with their hands. It's skipped a generation, and I'm just not good at it. Like, uh, this is my dad. I'm picturing my dad holding my middle son right here. So that's my dad, right? Uh, my father is one of those dudes that's just like, you know what? I'm so good at working with my hands. Power tools are cheating right? And so he'll take his like little beater pickup truck and he'll ha drop like a log, like a, like a half of a dead tree on the back of that thing, wheel it into his garage, and then out comes like a dining room table set. And he doesn't use power tools. It's all with his hands. I don't know how he does it. Like, dad, how did you, did you use glue or screws or anything? He's like, nope, it's all wood joints. Like he's Amish or something. Like I don't, I don't understand it. He doesn't even have the beard for it. You know, like I don't understand how he does it. And it's incredible to me. It's like magic, okay? So he's like that. And then my grandfather, my dad's dad, right, is uh, the next picture here. This is uh, Donald Scroggins. He's actually the one I named my grandson after. But Donald Scroggins, uh, before he passed away, was another one of those guys. My grandfather built his own house. Built his own house. Do you know how much that takes? Like, I've watched YouTube videos on it, and it seems like those people are exhausted at the end. I can only assume it was tiring, right? He built his own house. Not only that, but he also built a barn and a stable on his property as well, himself. It's insane. Like, I think he didn't pour the slab, and that's about all that he didn't do, you know? But, like, the men in my family can work with their hands, and I cannot. And I just feel like a giant failure sometimes. You know what I mean? Yeah? No? Okay. I guess you guys are successful at everything. Praise God. <laughs> but yeah, like it just blows my mind that, that it skips a generation, right? So uh, just keep that in your back pocket. We'll come back to visit that in a moment. I swear all of this stuff connects. Just you got to bear with me. So I want to talk about for a minute is like the, the gospel, right? Um, you know, we've heard the gospel. Amen. I mean, hopefully that's why you're sitting in here. We've heard the gospel. And, and in fact, never before in human history have we had so many messengers of the gospel, which I think is pretty cool, right? Um, we have like hundreds of thousands of social media accounts that are preaching the gospel, right? They're expressing the story of Jesus. They're telling the story. There are hundreds of thousands of churches producing varying degrees of quality of content every Sunday. Amen? Right? Like in San Angelo, Texas, throw a rock and you'll hit a church, right? That's pretty much how it is, right? Go online, and there are tons of Christian websites, and, and all of them are heartfelt and earnest in their desire to win souls. There are YouTube channels out there that are amazing. Like how many of you have heard of the Bible Project? Have you all watched those videos before? I, if you haven't, like, get out pen and paper or your, your notes on your phone or whatever and type in Bible Project on YouTube. It's incredible, okay? I know YouTube can be bad, but 
The Bible Project is amazing. It'll change your life. There's podcasts you can listen to. Did you know that you can get on a podcast and listen to like the smartest Hebrew scholar in the world? John Walton, the most brilliant Old Testament scholar in the world, has a podcast. Like the dude that other Bible school professors are like, what do I teach? Uh, I don't know. Ask John Walton. You can listen to him, right? It's incredible the, the resources that we have now. The gospel is just a click away for anyone on the planet. Uh, I was just talking to one of my friends who's a missionary in uh, the middle of Turkey, right? The ancient region called Galicia, right? Which is Galatia in the New Testament. He, he's there. Like, he's there. Where Paul walked, he, he lives there. Now, Turkey is 99% Muslim. But my friend told me that just a few weeks ago, a young guy in his 20s approached him at a park and said, I've been reading a Bible online, and I want to leave Islam and become a Christian. Oh my gosh, right? If that doesn't wake you up, I don't know what will. Amen? So we have more ways to hear the gospel than any time before in human history, right? We've also seen the gospel, right? Like John saying, that which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, we've seen the gospel. Because of the proliferation of the internet and social media, we've been able to show the clear, dynamic, and innovative ways that the gospel impacts our, and changes our lives. We've broadcast it to a watching world, right? Like, it's amazing what you can see. And I'm not talking about the movie Fireproof or whatever thing Kirk Cameron's done latest, which is fine if you like that. You know, we can forgive you. It's, it's all right. But I mean, what, what's the, the Netflix, or the not Netflix series, but The, the Chosen? right? Have y'all watched that? Beautiful. Beautiful. We're seeing the gospel. This is amazing, right? There's a missionary that, that is a worker in the jungles of Venezuela, right? And he uses TikTok to fundraise for these villages that have nothing, right? He'll, he'll go into a village and be like, here's a TikTok thing. I don't know how TikTok works. I'm 38, right? He's just like, I'm TikToking. And, and here's how poor these people are. And this is what they need. And then he'll throw up a GoFundMe. And then people will donate to that. And then he'll show, like, just a couple months later, how he's built them houses with real floors that aren't dirt. And he's bought them mattresses and clothes and food. And he, and he set them up with a business so that they can provide for their village. The gospel. We're seeing the gospel in action. Amen. Amen. Isn't that amazing? That gets me excited. But... Hearing and seeing does not equal proclamation. I still would not say that the gospel has been proclaimed. Because John, speaking to us through his epistle here, he adds something that we may not think of immediately. He says, that which we have touched with our hands. Which we have touched with our hands. See, the gospel must be touched the gospel must be interacted with. We intuitively know this is true because we send missionaries like my friend across the globe. Like myself, my family and I were missionaries in Europe in the Czech Republic for two years. It was a great experience. Czech Republic's amazing if you like grumpy people, which I'm a grumpy person, so I fit in. Right? So it's not only words that must be heard or lives that must be seen, but it's also lives that must be felt. Lives must be felt. And as we say in Chi Alpha, 
What God does in you, He wants to do through you. Right? So no one here came here simply by hearing or seeing. It is by interacting with the life of someone else. Right? There was somebody in your life, maybe a parent, maybe a grandparent, maybe a friend, like it was for me, a fellow in high school. Somebody, somebody was the hands and feet of Jesus in your life. And that's why you're here. Right? And it's only when all three of these elements are encountered, when we hear, see, and feel, that the gospel is truly preached. Think about Thomas. Thomas heard and he, and he saw the reaction of the other disciples, right? That Jesus was alive, but he didn't believe until what? He touched. He put his finger in the holes in his hand, his hand in the side of Jesus. So the question that I have for you is, whose hands does the world around us now touch? Whose side does the world around us now touch? Whose wounds do they inspect? Like Thomas, we cannot proclaim the risen Lord until we have truly encountered Him. The magnitude of our message demands that we do not neglect a single facet of the gospel. In, other, for, in, other, in order for others to know that the capital T truth is alive, we must show in us truth come to life. Amen? I'll say that again because I couldn't get it out the first time. In order for others to know that capital T truth is alive, we must show in us that truth has come to life. It is that truth in life that came into the world and allowed himself to be seen by a watching and waiting world, allowed himself to be heard by an eager world, and then interacted with a desperate world. There's a story that I heard uh, from one of my favorite authors. His name is E. Stanley Jones. And he tells a story of this, this kid that was left at a boarding school because his parents were missionaries. That was the tradition back in the days. If a family got called to a place that was really isolated, like Africa or something like that, they would leave their children at a boarding school. And the headmaster of the school knew that this child would not be going anywhere for Christmas. So classes dismissed, and all the other children went back to their homes. But this child was left. This young boy was left at the boarding school. So the headmaster comes to this child, and he says, Son, he's feeling rather magnanimous today. He says, Son, what would you like? What would you like for Christmas? I'm going to get you a present. What would you like? And the boy sat up in his bed, and he looked over at the nightstand where he had a picture of his mother and his father. And he said, I want nothing more than for my father to step out of that picture frame and give me a hug. See, Jesus didn't only preach a word for us to hear. He didn't only change lives for us to see. But he stepped down out of the picture frame of heaven and he gave us a hug. He is the yearning of our heart. He is the word become flesh. Do you see that? See, the, the idea here is that the kingdom of God the manner in which we live, the gospel that we preach isn't meant to just be preached, it's meant to be lived because Jesus lived it. Jesus was the fulfillment of it. He was the walking embodiment of it. Jesus is the word become flesh. 
He didn't just preach the gospel. He is the gospel. To quote my friend E. Stanley Jones once again, he says, He did not merely ask men to turn the other cheek when smitten on the one, to go the second mile when compelled to go one, to give the cloak also when sued at the law and the coat was taken away, to love our enemies and to bless them. No, he did that very thing. The servants struck him on one cheek, and he turned the other, and the soldiers struck him on that. They compelled him to go with them one mile from Gethsemane to the judgment hall. He went with them too, even to Calvary. They took away his coat at the judgment hall, and he gave them his seamless robe at the cross. And in the agony of the cruel torture of the cross, he prayed for his enemies, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus was the Word become flesh. This is what the world needs. Not another video, not another radio broadcast, not another TV show, not another track in someone's hand. They need a hand in someone's hand. This is what true proclamation looks like when you live the gospel. When you allow your life to be examined. This is what brings eternity into the hearts of the world around us. When our lives are not just seen, our words are not only heard, but our lives are felt deeply and truly. And this, I dare say, is what the kingdom of heaven truly is. See, sometimes we think of the kingdom of heaven in like this Neoplatonic, weird kind of Greek way, right? Which is where that original idea comes from, that it's like some high, off in the sky, by and by, when I die, sweet apple pie thing, right? Where it's like, when we go to heaven, that's when I'm a part of the kingdom of heaven. But I say no. Let me ask you this. How do you know when you've entered a new country. It's not by a sign. It's not by a border marker. It's when the laws change. It's when the customs change. It's when the culture changes. So are you in the kingdom of heaven? Have the laws of your heart changed? Have the customs of your life changed? Has the culture of your family changed? When you're smitten on one cheek, do you turn and offer the other? When someone demands your cloak, do you give them your tunic as well? When someone insults you, harms you, hurts you deeply, do you pray for them? This is the gospel. This is what needs to be preached. With all of our gospel proclamation, with all of the YouTube channels, all of the TikTok, all the social media, all of it, numbers in the church are dropping. Numbers in the church are dropping. I've seen it. I've been a campus worker for over a decade now, full time. That's not counting the time that I was a volunteer worker. I've been a missionary for 10 years now. And this is what I've seen consistently. Every year, fewer and fewer students come out of the church. Fewer and fewer students come out of the church. And those that do come out of the church, half of them don't know what the gospel is because they've never felt it. They've only seen it. They've only heard it. The kingdom of God is when you live as Jesus would live. And that's a hard thing. Thank goodness we have the power of the Holy Spirit to indwell in our hearts. Amen? He didn't just give you power to speak in tongues. I mean, I'm an AG pastor, right? Like, I'm contractually required to talk about speaking in tongues at least once a week, okay? Like, I get it. 
Not only does he give you the power to do that, but he gives you the power to overcome sin, to perfect your life, to live the gospel, to be the word become flesh to your neighbor. One of my favorite poets, um, his name's Steve Turner. He was actually a writer for Rolling Stone back in the 60s, but he loved Jesus. And he wrote this poem that I'm going to share with you that I added last minute, uh, so it's not going to be on the screen, and I'm really sorry about that. I'm not good at my job, um, but I already told you that. So, Steve Turner writes, he says, I went to see where Jesus once touched the earth, but the Catholics had got there before me and obscured his footprints with arches, buttresses, gold, and incense. I went to see where Jesus once touched the earth. I couldn't see for concrete and collection boxes, for postcards and guidebooks. So I looked further down. I looked to the ground, but the ground was 30 foot higher in AD 3. This is not where Jesus walked. I looked down, down to my feet, my legs, arms, and chest. I look down to where Jesus touches the earth. We are where Jesus touches the earth. And here's the scary thing. That means that we have to touch the earth. That we have to reach out to the people around us that are broken and hurting. And broken people break people. And hurting people hurt people. And you're going to get broken and you're going to get hurt. But that's why God gave you the Holy Spirit. He didn't give you the Holy Spirit so you get a chill on Sundays, so you get a tingle. He gave you the Holy Spirit to give you the power to overcome sin, not just in your life, but in the life of the world around you. See, Jesus was a friend of sinners. Jesus was a friend of sinners, not casual acquaintance, not colleague of sinner, not co-worker with a sinner, a guy that happened to go to a bar one time, and I think that makes me uncomfortable. No, he was a friend of sinners. Do you have lost people in your life? Do you have lost people in your life? If the idea of friends with sinners is odd and uncomfortable to you, I have really bad news. That position is in the Bible, but you're not going to like who it's associated with. Right? That's the way the Pharisees thought. That's the way the Sadducees thought. And that's why they were so sad, you see. Thought I was getting a little too heavy there for a minute. But how else does the world hear the gospel? How else does the world get the gospel but by you, the hands and feet of Jesus? What we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also so that you too may have fellowship with us. We need to have fellowship with the world. That doesn't mean that doesn't mean that you become like them. It, becomes, it means they become like you. 
One of my first, one of the first guys that ever invested it in my life. Uh, I got saved actually through a ministry called Young Life. I don't know if you've heard of it or not, uh, but they reach high school students, and they're always known as like really weird and crazy. Like I don't know if they're saved, and that's because they're going after the kids that you look at and go, they aren't saved, and I, that was me. But my Young Life leader, Brian Summerall, he always told me this: Christians are a bit like manure. You pile them up, stuff starts to stink. Well, you spread them out, and stuff starts to grow. Right? I've never forgotten it because it's a poop joke, and I'm a boy. Um, <laughs> you can tell Pastor, that, that guy made some really off-color jokes. Anyway, um, it's nice seeing you one time. I'll probably never be back. Um, but that's the reality. We as Christians have a tendency to see the world in, in this light of dichotomy, of it's us against them. We got to circle the wagons. I got to protect my kids. I got to make sure my family's okay. I got to make sure that my kids grow up and, and they walk with God. And so, therefore, I got to keep the world away, I got to keep them out. And then, when your kids go off to college, I meet them. And they're challenged by ideas they've never met before because you've never let them. And then their faith crumbles like that. In the 60s, they, they uh, were trying to develop these biospheres. I don't know if you remember this or not, because they were like, we've got to colonize the moon and Mars, and now it's all coming back. You know, time is a flat circle, whatever. And, and so they had these biodomes, okay? I think there was a Pauly Shore movie about that for the really old people, amen? Why was that guy ever famous? Anyway, uh, but they had these biodomes, and they planted trees in it. And the trees would grow to a certain height. And then they would just pop, they would snap, they would collapse under their own weight. And they couldn't figure out why until one day they realized there was no wind in the biodomes. There was no wind. See, it's the wind that puts that pressure on the trees, the constant pressure on the trees that strengthens the trunks, strengthens the limbs, and allows them to stand strong. We cannot create a biodome for our children. One, because Polly Shore will come and ruin everything. And two, your children need to be strengthened. It's okay for them to hear opposing views. Why is that okay? Because the word became flesh through you. And they don't just hear or see the gospel, but they feel the gospel in you. Amen? This is the goal of Chi Alpha. This is the goal of Chi Alpha, is to make the word flesh on that campus. We believe that the campus is the most strategic place to raise up leaders, right? It's the most strategic mission field in the entire world because we're reaching the future teachers, political leaders, business leaders, right? I remember, what was it, 10, 15 years ago, it was, there was an uproar. We got to get prayer back in schools. We got to get prayer back in schools. I mean, personally, I would like prayer back in the churches first, but we can do prayer back in schools, right? I'm getting prayer back in schools because I have reached the dorm rooms. 
Over the 10 years, I can point to dozens and dozens of young men that we have reached with the gospel. They've gotten saved. They're praying young men. And now they're teaching in a high school. I got prayer back in the schools by getting the dorm room first. That's why I believe that the university is the most strategic place to reach a people, to change a culture. We're young enough and dumb enough to think that we can actually change the world. And it won't happen until the word becomes flesh on that campus. Otherwise, we're just another social media message. If the word does not become flesh, if the watching world never feels our life, then we have separated the message from its power. And like the heretics of old, we have proclaimed that Christ does not come in the flesh. And our actions will deny the physical presence of Jesus on earth. And that's, that's the truth. The, um, the leader of Chi Alpha, our national director, his name is E. Scott Martin. He says, the kingdom of God advances through relationship. The kingdom of God advances through relationship. Right? How did I learn about the kingdom? How did I learn the gospel? How did I hear? How did I feel? How was it proclaimed in my life? Relationship. Someone came alongside me. Let me put my hands in their wounds. And walked with me as we both walked towards Jesus. So there's one thing that I actually did build in my life. One thing and one thing only. See, my grandfather, um, his farm was outside of Shreveport, Louisiana, right? I don't know if y'all even know where that is, but it's like the armpit of Louisiana, and that's saying something, right? And, and Shreveport is this Air Force base, and all of the B-52 bombers are stationed there. Not like the band and Rock Lobster and all that stuff, but like actual the airplanes. Um, there's a lot of pulp, pop culture references that you young people aren't getting, and uh, you're missing out on some fantastic jokes, okay? But just get on Wikipedia, you'll be fine. Um, but I, I would always see them flying overhead. And one day I was like, Grandpa, I want to like, make a model toy of one of those. I must have been seven or eight years old. And so he took me in his garage, and we gathered up strap, scrap wood, you know, like some trim pieces and whatever he had laying around. And he put his hands on top of my hands as we fed the wood through the table saw, the skill saw, all the, I don't know what they're called, the cutting devices. <laughs> and then he held my hands as I held the nail and the hammer and drove the pieces together. And I made a B-52 bomber. And then I went inside. I got some paint, and I painted it up. And that thing sat on my shelf. Sat on my shelf until my son turned six years old and he looked up and he goes, Dad, what's that? I said, oh, son, I made that with, with your great grandfather, the person that I named you after. And I took it off that shelf and I gave it to my son. And he played with it. And he painted it up himself. And then he put it on his shelf. And now it's his. 
See, I wasn't good at working with my hands. I still am. I still am not. But when my grandfather came alongside me, and he put his hands on my hands, and he let his presence be felt in my life, then I made something that meant something that I have passed down to my kids now too. The word must become flesh. So we'll close like this. Here's what I believe. I believe that you are put here on earth for a purpose. And that purpose is to make the word become flesh in the life of somebody. I'm going to close in prayer as Benji comes up. And as we bow our heads, I want you to ask God, who is the person that I need to help? Who is the person that I need to proclaim the gospel, not just by seeing, not just by hearing, but by feeling? Who is that person in your life? And the Lord will tell you, because He's good, and He wants His children saved more than you do. So He's going to give you someone. And then the Holy Spirit is going to give you the wisdom, the words, the insight that you need to reach them. I don't know what that could mean. Maybe it's the person that works next to you in the office. And maybe you buy their lunch one day. Have you ever bought somebody's lunch before? They freak out like you just bought them a house or something. It's the dumbest thing. I'm like, I spent nine bucks at Whataburger, dude. Calm down, you know? Maybe you, maybe you invite them over for dinner. Maybe it's that neighbor that you haven't talked to but once every three years, right? Maybe you mow that neighbor's lawn. Who knows? It could be anything, but some way your life will be made felt in their lives. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we love you. Jesus, you are so worthy. You are so good. You are so kind to us, Father. God, I pray, Lord, I pray that this church would grow. This church would be your hands and feet in the world around us, Lord. This city needs you, Lord. But more than that, you deserve the love and affection of every person in this city. Because you are so good. Lord, I don't want to get to heaven and have tears in my eyes because there's not enough people singing about you. So, Father, will you speak to us? Holy Spirit, will you speak to our hearts right now? Tell each of us who we need to reach out to. Who's that person that needs the gospel in their life? And Lord, like my grandfather did for me, will you put your hands on our hands and guide us through this process so that we can make something, build something together that is beautiful, that will last and be passed down generation to generation. Lord, we love you. All this is for your glory and for your kingdom. Amen.